Good morning. All right, so happy to be here with you guys this morning and to, uh, to be in the Word with you this morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and pull your Bibles out, we're going to be in Joel chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find one underneath a, a seat in front of you. Um, I encourage you, as I encourage you every week, but I encourage you again, as we said last week, uh, a lot today because we will be going deep into God's word this morning. So if you'd please get a copy of it in front of you. Again, you don't have a copy with you. You don't own a copy. Uh, we have one for you underneath the seat in front of you. Take that one home. If you don't have one, it's our gift to you this morning. And so if you want to go ahead again, Joel chapter two, this is the second minor prophet. As most of you know, if you were here with us last week, we're, we're jumping into a series of the minor prophets um, that we've retitled Return to Me. Right, and so the, the centralized theme, as we talked about last week, the central theme of these 12 minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament are all about God calling the people of Israel to come back to him. Right, they've turned away from him. They've worshiped other gods. They've broken his commandments. And so these last 12 minor prophets are God's calling for his people. He says, return to me, return to fellowship with me, return to worshiping me. And so we looked at that last week. Uh, we, we, we can see throughout these minor prophets the motivations in which and the calling that God has to return to him. And so last week, we opened up in the very first uh, minor prophet, which was Hosea. If you were here with us last week, we discussed uh, the motivation to return to God was his love for us, his faithful, unconditional love for us. In fact, last week we jumped into Hosea and we saw that the love that the Lord offers is a love like we can never, ever experience. It's a love like no other. And so as we looked at Hosea, we saw this great illustration the Lord gives us in his word through the prophet of his unconditional love for his people. And so he did that through the marriage of Hosea to his adulterous wife, Gomer, who was a prostitute. All right, so God had called Hosea to marry Gomer, though he knew she was a prostitute and that she would be an adulteress and would be unfaithful to him as a representation to show God's unconditional, everlasting, and faithful love to his people. And so through this union, the Lord's able to tell his people, I know you've turned away from me. I know that you are sinful. I know that you have worshiped other gods, but I still love you unconditionally. Return to me. And so he's saying, stop worshiping these false gods. Stop breaking my commandments. Come back to me. And so this morning, we're going to see that same theme carry on. Return to me. Return to me. We're going to see that as we jump into the second minor prophet, which is the prophet Joel. We're going to be again in chapter two of Joel. And so as we do this, we're going to see in a practical sense in what manner we are to return to the Lord. Right? He keeps calling us to return to him. Today, he gives us a practical sense of how we are to return to him, how we are to do it and when we are to do it. That's the two things we're going to see this morning. And so and through the answer to both of those questions, we will come out of this worshiping God for his incredible, great, incredible grace and incredible patience that he has for his people. And so as we're doing that again, Joel chapter two, I want to, before we start, give you just a little bit of background on the prophet Joel. Um, Joel, uh, this, this book of Joel was written around 400 BC, they think. Um, Joel is an interesting prophet. He's actually one of the prophets that we have the least amount of information on. Um, the word, the Bible only gives us the name of his father, 
but through some context clues in the text, they can kind of pinpoint around when this book was written. So they think around 400 BC, and this is written to the kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so again, if you were here with us last week in Hosea, um, we saw how uh, the prophet Hosea was giving a prophecy to the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel at this time was split into many kingdoms. Uh, the two that had been prophesied the last two weeks will be, would have been Israel last week, the northern kingdom. Today, Joel is going to write a message from the Lord and prophesy to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so last week we talked about how that northern kingdom of Israel, Hosea was talking about their sin and how they had turned away from God. As we look at this southern kingdom of Judah, uh, we're going to see also how sinful they have been. Uh, in fact, potentially, argu arguably worse. Right? Last week we saw how Israel was getting warned of the in upcoming wrath that the Lord would have if they didn't return to him. Well, Judah, in, in Joel chapter 1... They're already experiencing some of that wrath. All right, so last week, Hosea says, return to the Lord. He is faithful. He loves you. If not, then we're going to see his wrath. And they ended up in the future seeing some of the wrath of God and being destroyed. But as Joel's writing this letter, they're already in the midst of a little bit of God's wrath for their behavior. And so today, as we look at Joel, we're going to see that this wrath that they're experiencing has come in the form of a plague of locusts. And so there's a terrible plague during this time uh, of locusts rushing through the land of Judah. Um, this destruction of the locusts uh, led to a great famine in the land of Judah. So it's these locusts have come through these swarms and they have eaten up all the crops. And, uh, and there's a massive famine going through the land of Judah, and people are dying from this famine. And so the locust plague for this time was a perfect um, representation of not only the portion of God's wrath that the people in Judah were getting currently, but also he'll begin to talk about what this looks like in the end times. All right, he talks about the day of the Lord. He gives us some prophecy of the day of the Lord that he'll talk about. Um, this was a perfect illustration for some end times prophecy that we see actually that we, because we're alive in today's age, get to read about in Revelation. And so this is the, one of the first uh, uh, things that Joel talks about is the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, he, he talks about it here in Joel 1 uh, verse 4. He says this, he said, what the cutting locusts left the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. And so that's what they were encountering, right? What he's saying here is that destruction has completed itself. Everything has been destroyed in these fields. Right here, this is exactly what they're encountering. And in fact, we have a picture here. I love this guy is trying to fight off these locusts with a machete, though. That's pretty funny to me. But that's what they're talking about. That's what a locust plague looks like. This picture is from a few years ago in Africa, where Africa had one of the greatest locust plagues in the 21st century that they've ever seen. And so this was a picture of that plague. And so this is what these people are dealing with uh, in their context of Joel. And so the fields are destroyed. Their food is gone. Their livelihood is gone. God is using this punishment not only to push the people of Judah to come back to them, He's saying, like, this is my wrath for your sin. Come back to me. But he's also using it to show them 
this is an ounce of my wrath. Like it's going to get much worse for the world. The evil in the world will be punished by my wrath. It's going to get worse than this. And that's what we're seeing here as we walk into chapter two of Joel, all right? That the destruction of the evil of the world in the end times, it won't be a pretty sight. All right, it's not going to be pretty. This is nothing compared to what's coming for the evil and sin of the world. And all this, again, is in graphic detail. If you turn all the way to the back of your Bible, to the very last book in Revelation, you can read about all of this. God's telling his people here in Joel, if you think this is bad, it's going to be much worse. Right? The world will be punished for its sin. The world will be punished from turning away from me. I always think about this. When I read through Joel this week, I thought about this a little bit. Uh, it's like when, uh, when we were home with mom. Like, you know, if you were home during summer vacation when you were a kid and dad went off to work. And if you were, had a family like mine, like dad was a disciplinary dad and mom was easy to push over. You know, so we could get away with a lot more with mom, but she had a limit, right? And so we would push those limits, and she would always say to us when me and my siblings had pushed her too far, she'd say, wait till your dad gets home. I wait till your dad gets home. And I remember like this cold shiver running up my spine like, oh yeah, I'm getting a whooping at about 545. I'm going to get a whooping. And so from that point forward, we would be like model children, He'd just like be cleaning the house randomly and picking up and because we were terrified because our, our bad behavior warranted discipline and it warranted a little bit of dad's wrath. And so that's what Joel is saying to the people of Israel. He's saying, when our father returns, all of our sin will be punished. So as we look at these first chapter and a half of the book of Joel, it's really dark. It's a dark time. And Joel doesn't start off with an uplifting message. He says, this is our fault. Right? We've turned away from the Lord. This, is the, this was the repercussions of our sin to, onto a righteous God. But as we move into chapter 2, we find that there is hope for us. That we can be spared from the punishment. The people of Judah, they can be spared from the punishment. And so starting in verse 12, the Lord instructs us, on how we can be saved from the righteous wrath of the Lord. And so we're gonna, that's where we're going to start this morning here in verse 12. So if you would, get your eyes on the text with me. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right, let's go. Verse 12 through 14 of Joel chapter 2 says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, <clears throat> for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So our very first message here from Joel here as we dive into chapter 2, the very first positive message right before all of this, it has just been destruction of your sin, that how God will not only uh, is, is, is inflicting Israel, or I'm sorry, Judah right now, but how the future, the end times, the end of the world will look much worse. And so now we have a bright spot finally in chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And here the Lord calls us to do one thing. 
repent. He says here to Israel, yet even now, return to me with all your heart. He says, return to me, repent of your sins. He says, rend your hearts, not your garment, return to the Lord. So I love how this, this section of the text opens up. It says, yet even now, return to me. Right, God is so full of grace that even in the face of his justice on sin, right, we've been talking about this for a while. If you've been with us here for the last month and a half, two months, we've been talking about how the penalty for sin is death. The penalty for sin is the wrath of God, that we as sinners are enemies of God. We talked about how Jesus uh, brings the ministry of reconciliation that to be reconciled man who is sinful to a righteous God. We've been talking about that for a while now. So even in the face of his just wrath against sin, God is still full of grace. He says, yet even now, return to me. Even in the face of annihilation, he still wants to restore his people. He's just calling them to repent. I'm saying repent. Repent and turn back to me. Now, this word repentance, we've, we've probably heard this word a million times in church. If you've been in church since you were a kid, you've heard this, repent, repent, repent. What does it mean? What's it mean to repent? Well, this word repentance, by definition, means the changing of mind, right? a sorrowful change of mind. A sorrowful change of view of sin. And so as we work our way down through verse 12 into verse 13, the Lord shows us how to repent. How to have a change of mind. And so he says here in verse 13, the first part, rend your hearts, not your garments. Now this word rend means to rip or tear. And so an ancient Israeli custom when they were grieved or repenting over their sin, the first thing they would do is rip their garments. Now, we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. We even see it in the New Testament as Jesus stands before the high priest Caiaphas and tells him that he is the Lord. Caiaphas becomes distraught because he believes that he is amongst blasphemy, and so he rips his garment. And we see this over and over again. This was an outward showing of grieving, grievance, and repentance in the face of sin. Of sin. And so this is what the, the, the Jews, they were used to seeing this over and over again. When someone was repenting of their sin, they would rip their garments, and you would know they're repenting. It was an outward showing. But here, the Lord calls for something different. The Bible calls for us to have a true repentance, not of the outside, but of the heart on the inside. He says again, rend your hearts, not your garments. Our hearts should break over sin. The people of Judah, their heart needs to be broken over their sin. In order to turn back to the Lord, to return to him, they have to know that what they are doing is a sin against God. Right? The realization, the change of mind has to happen as the first step. And so as you're sitting in this room today, you have to ask yourself, when you break a commandment of God, when you fall short, 
does your sin distress your heart? Does your heart break over sin? When you commit a sin, when you break a commandment of the Lord, does it grieve your heart? Do you feel the weight of what you've just done? You've sinned against a holy God. And repentance is just that. Your heart must break for it. Your mind must change on sin. You must be able to see sin as sin. And so if you're in the room this morning, you don't know the Lord, you have to be able to see the sin in your life is sin. We talk about how sin is death. I've been saying that. But first, before we realize that sin is death, we have to realize that sin is sin. It seems simple enough. That's the first step to understanding what exactly the Lord is talking about here. When you break a commandment of the Lord, you are sinning. In order to truly repent, you have to know first, your mind has to change that what you're doing leads to death. You have to understand that. The weight of that must hit you in order to fully repent. In order to truly repent, again, you must know that the sin you commit is a sin against the Lord, that it's a breaking of his commandment. And that sin tears your heart into it, wrenches your heart into, because you have walked away from fellowship with the Lord. You have turned from the Lord, right? When you choose sin over the Lord, you're just like the people of Judah, right? Joel is proclaiming to the people, you've turned away from the Lord. You've turned towards your sin. He just wants you to come back. And the first step is realizing you are walking in the wrong direction. You have a change of mind. You're like the people of Judah. We need to be serious about our sin problem. Sin is an issue. I know this is heavy this morning. You might not have expected to walk into a heavy sermon this morning, but this, this, this is truth. We have to see that sin is sin. The sin problem we have is a huge problem. True repentance isn't flippant. Right? It's not just an outward showing. Right? Your heart has to break over your sin. Uh, I, I kind of coupled this this week as I was thinking about this again, thinking about my childhood a lot this week and how terrible of a child I, I used to be. My mother's not here, but she would agree. Um, I see this in our children as well. When, when our kids fight, like I have, I have three daughters and a son, and he's not old enough yet to really cause much ruckus, but the three girls, they can get at it a lot. And so uh, when, when my two oldest daughters, when they fight, at the end, we always bring them together and we make them say sorry to each other and hug, and they hate it. Like, they absolutely hate it. In fact, my oldest daughter, Ruby, I'll be like, hey, say sorry to Reese, and she'll go, Sorry. Like, no, look at her. Sorry. Right, there's a huge difference from saying you're sorry to truly being sorry. I can see that in our children, in that example. There's a huge difference between saying you're sorry and truly being sorry. There's a huge difference in showing that you've sinned and truly repenting for your sin. Our sin needs to rent our hearts. Our repentance needs to be genuine. Not just, yeah, I'm repenting because that's what Christians are supposed to do. We have to be destroyed inside by our sin. When we see it, we have to look upon it and know, this is not God's design for me. I am heading in the wrong direction. 
I have to turn back, come back into fellowship with him. And, and we're going to talk more about that as we look our way, work our way through Joel. And in fact, as we dive a little deeper into that, uh, look what the Apostle Paul says as he talks about true repentance in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. He says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So he's, Paul's saying, I, I rejoice. He's telling this Corinthian church, I rejoice because you were grieved. And because your grief was godly grief, and it led you to repentance. All right, so the first thing we have to see there as we're moving through this is that the first thing that happens is your heart was rent. And that godly grief led you to repentance. Now, this can go in opposite direction. As Paul talks about, he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Uh, guilt isn't repentance. All right, Paul's telling us here that just because you feel guilty that you committed a sin, it's not true repentance. True repentance is a marker of our salvation. When we have truly repented, when we have a truly repentant heart, that's how we know we can be sure of our salvation. When we are heartbroken over sin and we turn back to the Lord, that's how we know that we are truly saved. Uh, John MacArthur has a quote on this that I absolutely love. Um, he says, the pleasure of sin is brief while the sorrow it produces lasts. So we get pleasure initially out of sin and then a distant time of sorrow over our sin. The sorrow of repentance is brief while the joy it produces lasts. So that moment when you have had a change of mind over your sin and you turn back upon the Lord, the joy that it will produce will last forever. So, but worldly grief, guilt, worldly guilt, it only produces death. Worldly grief over sin, right? Hopelessness, guilt, shame, depression over your current sin situation, over your current sin struggle, it only produces death. As I, as I, as I read about this and think about this, I always think about Judas, Everyone knows who Judas is, right? Yeah, Judas Iscariot, the guy who, one of Jesus' followers who betrayed him, right, turned against him for 30 pieces of silver. And moments after Jesus was captured and Judas was paid, a guilt fell on him. He tries to go and return the money. He runs off from the city and hides. He's guilty. After he betrayed Jesus, Jesus, Judas didn't have true repentance. He had worldly guilt. And that guilt was so deep that it led to his suicide, right? Judas hung himself. But the word of God doesn't call for you to feel guilty. The word of God calls for you to be repentant. Knowing that we have sinned against God, confessing our sin to him, and turning back to abiding in him. 1 John 1 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We today have to have our mind changed on sin. 
We have to know that God has set commandments before us as Christ followers. As human beings, we have a bar to hit. We can't hit it alone. And so therefore, he calls for us to repent and turn to Jesus Christ, to turn and place our faith in Jesus. The Lord has provided for us a way of escape. And it is to repent from our sin and place our faith in Jesus. And all we have to do is that. But how is that possible? We've been talking about the gospel for weeks. We're going to talk about it more today. In fact, we're going to talk about it every day. But how is this all possible? Well, look with me in the second half of verse 13. He says, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. This is only possible because God is gracious. God is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The Lord is so merciful that he came down from his home in, his, his throne in heaven to die on the cross for our sins, though he was innocent of sin. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God is so merciful and so gracious that he provided a way of escape through, through Jesus. That is the gospel. Right, if you're here with us this morning, you've never heard the gospel, that's the gospel. We, as, as human beings, as mankind, have turned our backs on God, just as the people of Judah have here in Joel. We begin to worship idols, worship money, Worship our jobs, worship ourselves. The Lord says, I still love you. I have an unconditional love for you. Though you are an adulteress to idols, I love you. Return to me and I will provide a way for you to do so. It says, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is true repentance. That is what the Lord is calling for us here today, to address our sin and to truly repent of it. And so now we know how to repent. We know what repentance is, but when are we to repent? As we continue to read through Joel chapter 2, he's going to show us exactly when we are to repent. And that answer to that question is now. Get our eyes back on the text here in verse 15 says this. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Right, the Lord here is calling his people to repent now. In fact, look at verse 15. Right, he, says that, uh, he says to blow the trumpet in Zion. Right, this is very significant. A lot of major things happen in the Old Testament when a trumpet is blown. Right? In fact, 
Trumpets are blown usually for two reasons in the Old Testament. The first is a call to alarm or to arouse. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 1 of Joel. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Okay, so the first, usually the first thing that happens is the trumpet is blown to cause alarm. The second thing is a call to gather and instruct before the Lord. That's what we see here in verse 15. So the Lord's telling the people, blow the trumpet, call everyone together, repent. Call them to repent now. And he, and he puts some, uh, some parameters here to who, is, who, who needs to come, who needs to show up to repent. He says, elders, children, infants. All right, so that covers just about everyone. So all repent. And no matter what they're doing, doesn't matter how important what they're doing is. In fact, he says here, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. doesn't matter if we're in the middle of a wedding. Come repent and do it now. doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. Gather them now. Blow the trumpet. The time is now as the Lord is coming. All right, the whole rest of Joel, and I encourage you to go home and read the rest of Joel. The whole rest of Joel is about the day of the Lord. He's saying the end is coming. The end is coming. Time is running out. The day is upon us. If you want to be spared from what we're already going through, repent. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4. Paul gives the same message as Joel. He says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For the day to surprise you like a thief. Paul is telling them, have you read Joel? This isn't a surprise. He told you he is coming back. And it ain't going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Blow the horn. Repent. Gather. Repent. That's what we can take away from this. All right, if you're sitting in here this morning, you're like, all right, this is great. Like, this is a, this is a message to, to people who were in Judah at 400 BC. Like, what am I supposed to take from this, though? I don't, I don't understand. What? There's two messages here. All right, the first message is this. If you're a non-believer in this room, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you have not put your faith in the gospel, this is a call for you to repent and place your faith in Jesus. Hear the gospel, repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus. That's what he's calling you for you to do. And so I have two questions for you this morning. If that's you this morning, if you're sitting in the seat and you're like, I have not placed my faith in Jesus. I don't follow the Lord. I have two questions for you. The first is this, what is preventing you? What's standing in your way? Is it doubt? Is it, what is it? And whatever it is this morning, I encourage you, not encourage you, I plead with you. After service, find someone wearing the rock name tag. Tell them 
do you wanna sit down and talk about what's preventing you from giving your life to Jesus this morning? And if you don't wanna do that, if you're nervous to do that, I encourage you, email us at the info at therockbible.org. We'll set up a time to talk one-on-one and you can tell me exactly what's standing in your way and we will shepherd your heart towards Jesus. You have to ask yourself that question today. What is preventing me from accepting the free gift of salvation, the way of escape from God's wrath that we deserve for our sin? The second question I have for you this morning is this. What if you wait too long? Like a thief in the night, like a woman in sudden labor. What if you wait too long? I asked this week that if you're a non-believer this morning, that you open your ears to the gospel, that Jesus Christ came down to bear your sin, sin that he was innocent of. He took on your sin. He who was sinless became sin for you. Out of love for you, out of grace for you, out of mercy for you. This entire Old Testament points to the love the Lord has for his people that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that now we can worship him as Lord. We can stand before God as righteous. If you're in this room this morning, do not wait. Reach out to us. Let us walk alongside you as we show you the gospel and plead for you. Put your faith in the ministry of reconciliation that you can be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. Now, if you're, if you're a believer in the room, there's another message for you here. Now, if you follow Jesus for 50 years, 50 days, five months, five days, take away from this right here, blow the trumpet. All right, go and tell people all the people of the world, all the people you care about, no matter what age, no matter what season of life, doesn't matter. Blow the trumpet, gather them together and tell them destruction and death come from those who are sinners. Be sanctified, be justified through the blood of Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. It should be us who are saved, who have this knowledge and put our faith right here, who are going out and proclaiming the gospel to the world blow the trumpet and say, repent now, today, make today the day. That is our calling as Christ followers to go and make disciples, to go and preach and spread the ministry of reconciliation. This is our duty to go, blow the trumpet, go out to the world and repent and and to call them to repent for their sins and put their faith in Jesus. So I ask you the same two questions. Number one, what is preventing you from doing that? As a Christ follower in this room, the same question, what is preventing you from going and proclaiming Jesus as Lord to people who don't know him? From sharing the gospel amongst people you know, people at work, people in your school system, what's preventing you? What if you wait too long? What if you wait too long? This is what I want to lay on our hearts this morning as we walk out of here. That every heart in here is rent over sin so much that if they don't believe in Christ, they come to him, 
And if you are a follower of Christ, that the sin of the world rents you so much that you want to see every single lost soul saved around you. Don't wait too long. Spread the gospel now. And I wanna take some time as we round out this morning and just pray for that. So if you would bow with me. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this weighty text this morning. Uh, We so often skip over some of these prophecies, especially these 12, Lord. We often don't open to them. As we read Joel, walked through Joel this morning, Lord, I know that it's heavy. We know that it's heavy, Lord. But I pray that through this heaviness, we see exactly what our sin has earned us, and that is death, your wrath, separation from you. And I ask, Lord, that on every heart in here this morning that they see that, that they, their mind is changed about sin, the sinfulness of man, and that through that, Lord, through the heaviness of that, that we come out of this worshiping you because you are full of grace and mercy and that you want to restore us to yourself. I mean, how incredible, Lord, are you that though we are sinners, you still died for us. Though you knew we would turn our backs on you all the time, that you still gave up yourself for us. That's a love like no other and a grace like no other, Lord. So we just want to worship you in that, Jesus. I just pray, Lord, today that on every heart in this room, if they don't know you, Lord, you open their ears to the gospel they just heard, that you open your ears, their ears to the, the wrath that could be waiting on them. That's a heavy thing this morning, Lord. We just pray that you lay that on the hearts of the people who don't know you. That through your mighty power and your mighty wrath, that they would see that you are the almighty God, the righteous God, the just God. And that you're also through the second part of this text, a merciful, gracious God that you want to restore them that you have an unconditional love for them. And so, Lord, I just pray for the hearts of those who don't believe in Christ today, that they would give themselves over to you, to put their faith in you and be rescued from the wrath they deserve. Father, if for anyone in here who's a believer, who's struggling to share the gospel, to go out and do the work that you've proclaimed them to do, to go out and to tell the world that Jesus is Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would move in the hearts, that you would rent the heart of that person. That when they're amongst someone they know is lost, Lord, they just cannot contain themselves. That they have to spread the gospel. They have to share their testimony. They have to share what you have done for them. Lord, embolden us and make this a weight that we, ca- we have to follow. Because we want to see, Lord, all the people of this county, all the people of this state, this city, this nation, the world come to the knowledge that you died on the cross for their sins and we want them to put their faith in you, Jesus, so they too can be saved. We want the kingdom of God to grow like a wildfire in this place. And so Lord, we know it starts right here with your people today. So Lord, we just pray that you move in the hearts of our people, move the hearts of the people of this city, not just here at the rock, everywhere in Greensburg. 
Spark the match, Lord, and make the gospel spread like wildfire through this place, all through our streets, through, our, through the countryside, through our neighborhoods, through our families, through our friends, through our school systems, everywhere, Lord. This is the most important news anyone could ever hear, that Jesus died for our sins and we can be given new life, restored to him and kept from the wrath that we deserve. So we worship you this morning. We pray for all those things, Lord. We pray for you to continue to move in our people, to stir the spirit in this place. And we worship you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.